Perfect. All right. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to the Impactful Minds podcast, where we highlight the voices and work of Rare Beauty's first group of ambassadors. My name is Sega Brown, and I am a mental health researcher and was also part of the Rare Beauty Ambassador Program. And today, I am so excited because I'm joined by Dia, who has been both such a great friend, but also been someone that's been helping behind the scenes of this podcast um, for the past few months. So um, I would love for you to just quickly introduce yourself and just talk a little bit about you and what you do, and then we'll get into the questions. Hi, I'm so excited to be here and obviously be alongside you, whom I absolutely adore and am very biased towards, but I think you're <laughs> the best people ever. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is my idea of fun, literally. Me too, so, me too. I love that. And my name is Adia Fadai. I am 20 years old. I just finished my junior year, as I was telling That's Seika. Cool. And I am a psychology major. I go to a small school on the beach in San Diego called Point Loma Nazarene University. And I have been in the mental health space since I was about 14. I started at a youth crisis hotline, which has a peer-to-peer model called Teen Line. And it's based in Los Angeles, but it's like nationally reaching. And that's really where I cultivated this love for the mental health realm, specifically crisis intervention, psychoeducational outreach, Mm. um, youth mental health and suicide prevention. That's amazing. I didn't realize your, is your college right on the beach? It has private beach access. It's unreal. That's crazy. What the heck? I really do need to visit you. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, wait a second. I was like, wait, hold up. You have a beach. (laughs) I know it's absolutely incredible. And I also feel like it's just been so helpful for me transferring there this year because oh. I needed to be somewhere that was better for my mental health mm-hmm. and being by the ocean is inherently so much better for yeah. one's mental health. So it's nice to be able to have that school to go to when I am also involved in the mental health space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, environment does that. I mean, up here in Ithaca, we have like winter from June sorry what <laughs> from january <laughs> we, have, we have winter from jan we have winter from like january until like april or like october until april because it will non-stop snow the weather just picked up this past week it's wow it's tragedy it's terrible so i'm i'm glad that you have that environment and i think <laughs> it's very healthy and good i didn't realize you also transferred did you transfer there this year mm-hmm. oh wow yeah yeah Yeah, which was the big change, but I also am the type who is super adamant about making changes when needed, and I didn't have a terrible experience at my prior school. I just didn't feel like it was the right fit, and I'm so grateful that I did transfer. That's good. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like a lot of times I I talk to people kind of nearing like the senior year and a lot of people are like, oh, like I wish I could have transferred. So I think it's good good initiative to hear you know it's, it's okay to transfer and it's, it's okay and it's very possible totally. I mean my brother did that so I deeply respect it anyways yeah you do such amazing work um I remember the first time when I read about you it was about you doing a lot of like suicide prevention and crisis management um which kind of like prompts the question like why advocate for suicide prevention and mental health I mean I think one it's such a heavy sphere to get into and I think maybe that's a turn off to a lot of people um so but at the same time, it's such important work. Um, so from your perspective, someone who's been doing this since they were like, what, 14, which is crazy. Um, why advocate for suicide prevention? I think that suicide prevention is really at the center of humanity's most deep and basic 
um, concerns and questions and hopes and fears. And you see that in every field of study, like suicidology and Mm -hmm. suicide prevention are really at the underpinnings of sociological studies, philosophy, psychology, cultural Mm -hmm. anthropology, really everything. And it's about so much deeper than ourselves and about the meaning of life. And there's a lot to it. Right. And I just don't know if I can ever go from a space with such meaning and purpose Mm -hmm. who where I interact with people who care so deeply about one another to any other space. And I just feel very grateful in that sense to have encountered this realm from a young age to where I know that there's nowhere else that I can find myself and there's nowhere else that I would want to be realistically. And I am always asked, how are you in this space, especially as it relates to suicide prevention, intervention, prevention, and are you okay? (laughs) Like this is, you know, people are asking, is this very hopeless for you? How do you deal with this? And Interestingly, the Suicide Prevention Center and really any space I'm in with suicide prevention, whether whether that's at D.D. Hirsch or whether Mm -hmm. that's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention or other organizations and spaces, you see the most amount of hope that you've ever seen in these spaces. And it seems like a juxtaposition and it's hard to hold both at once, but when you create space for vulnerability, authenticity, and shining a light on those dark places, there is actually so much hope because you're bringing so much to the light. And I love that. I love being in spaces where we're talking about real things and real issues and real people. And I just believe that the prioritization of suicide prevention Mm -hmm. is really the prioritization of human life and well-being. Absolutely. Mental health matters because we matter and because people are important. And I think that's a lot of my why. Mm -hmm. And I also think, though, it is important to validate the complexity of such a space and the difficulty of it. And there is a lot of pain and there's loss. There's also a lot of hope and a lot of being in these environments is holding both at once. And I'm sure you've seen that a lot as well. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I love, there's like two specific things. Uh, also, I can just listen to you talk 24-7. <laughs> like, I love, you just say such great stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, like one, I think something I learned really early on, because I also entered like the mental health field via like suicide prevention advocacy. Um, and suicide prevention is not just talking about like, just, it, it, it expands so much. It's talking about like well-being. It's talking about like every single step beforehand I mean like I know mental health America talks about like before stage four which is like kind of like the vibe I'm going for but um but yeah like there's in suicide prevention there is so many other facets of conversation whether it be like spiritual health or mental health emotional health you know a physical health and so there's so much that goes into it and it really gets down to those like deep philosophical questions or just like the day-to-day basis and how do we support the individual so I think one that's like such a good um thing to say because I think a lot of people get super confused um and they just get stuck in the idea that suicide prevention only talks about like suicide or illness but like like you said that's not the case it's it's about every single thing that becomes that comes before it to prevent it um 
So that's the one thing. But yeah, I definitely also agree that these areas are kind of outlets of hope. Um, where, I mean, if you're talking about mental health, all it's always because you're, you've been exposed to like the difficulties of it. Um, which I think has been like the super, like the dopest thing about like the rare beauty program or like meeting other young pe- people in the mental health realm has been the fact that we're all just young people like with this hope, with this passion um, and going through it. So I think, yeah, I feel like you just broke down the stigma and the barriers just in that one answer alone. But yeah, I think that's exactly it. Yeah. And I think also there is so much to be done about acknowledging and normalizing the reality of things like suicidal ideation when they're more on the passive morbid side of the spectrum. And the majority of people at one point in their life have thoughts of things like dying. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of what suicide prevention has prompted me to do is have those conversations very openly and freely, so compassionately and sensitively ensuring that boundaries are embraced in every conversation and Mm -hmm languaging around suicide is very important like there is a right way to go about it and there is a wrong way to go about it which is also very pertinent to always place at you know the forefront of our conversations yeah absolutely I do love that being in this space innately allows for so many conversations Mm -hmm. and allows for the normalization of very real emotions yeah 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 I think like there, there is something to say about, you know, these questions. I mean, like part of life is death. And I think there's a, it, it can be such a heavy thing to avoid. Um, and when you avoid having conversations or avoid talking about, you know, these emotions or these experiences, um, you only, you know, kind of propagate it more. Um, and that's why I think it's so important just right to have the conversation on its own. Like you don't have to have everything figured out, but there's something to say about just talking about it. So, I mean, very, that's some like amazing things that you do, but also curiously, like what prompted you back in high school to start as like a hotline listener or to work on a crisis line? Cause I don't think every high schooler would do that, but yeah. <laughs> what prompted like that and what really encouraged you to get into the space in the first place? So the answer is going to start off very hilariously odd and it's going to end in a way that makes <laughs> a little bit more sense. Sure. Did you ever watch the show Dance Moms when you were younger? <laughs> yes, I do know Dance Moms. <laughs> oh no. Okay. That show, which is a whole podcast slash therapy episode in itself for both yeah. the viewers and the people who were a part of it, mm-hmm. um, was a show I really loved throughout middle school. And growing up in LA with that type of drama, I felt I understood, you know, a lot of the drama in that show. That's yeah. a whole story. However, okay. I <laughs> watched that show and I was, I think, maybe 13 at the time. And they actually had moved to Los Angeles. I don't remember a lot of the details of the show, but sure. when they moved, they had someone close to them, I believe, die by suicide. And mm-hmm. they had teen line actually come in and oh, wow. talk about youth suicide. And then they kind of dedicated some either fundraiser or dance or something along those lines to suicide prevention mm-hmm. and the youth crisis hotline work that teen line was doing. And at the end of the show, they were saying, if you are in the greater Los Angeles area and want to get involved with a youth-based mental health nonprofit that 
my teens and four teens, then look into teenlineonline.org. So I searched it up and I wasn't of age. You have to be at least 14 and at least in high school. I see. And I looked into this organization. I've always been really passionate about the nonprofit space. Like ever since I was younger, my parents always encouraged me to um, just engage in service work and yeah. Um, choose organizations that I really care about. So a lot of what I did during birthdays was choosing organizations I was passionate about and then like either going there and taking part of service activities or, um, you know, donating yeah. my birthday gifts to an organization, so sweet. something like that. And I loved it because it really allowed me to understand the nonprofit realm and mm-hmm. understand that there's so many nonprofits and you really can get involved with the ones that fit your niche and engage in that yeah and one-on-one but I was looking into teen line and I kind of just waited until I was of age to apply and what really first drew me wasn't the fact that it was on dance moms it was the fact that there was a non-profit that was by youth and for youth so the Mm. people that you are serving the youth community are the same exact people who get to navigate this world one-on-one and receive comprehensive training to do this like I was blown away and I didn't think at the time and this is when it gets like a little bit more of an interesting answer (laughs) this has been pretty interesting on its own but yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm like plugging dance moms right now no Um, good this is great (laughs) but just being able to be in that space where I was even applying I found so much that was interesting about mental health and youth. Mm -hmm. And I did not think at the time that I had much relationship to this topic. I was like, this is great. This is important. And that's the way a lot of people think about mental health. If they have not maybe experienced something firsthand in themselves or others, which is, you know, statistically not too high, but is a possibility for some people. And when I started at teen line, it was like a summer training program. So the summer going into my sophomore year, I spent it just receiving training on every mental health topic ever and crying every day, but I'm a crier. So that's like, okay. (laughs) okay. When I say I'm crying, it was like tears of joy. Um, also like, you know, mourning and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And we had the most incredible experience, but this also through that psychoeducation, prompted me to understand that, okay, there is actually a lot more to this world of mental health than I first thought. And also maybe I should get a therapist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's a huge other reason why I'm such an advocate for proactive education, because Mm. when I was able to learn about symptoms of certain mental health issues, not in a way where I was self-diagnosing, but there was a time when I was hearing about some of these topics and realizing that there was some relationship I was having personally and relationship that some peers were having as well. And so it would have never even had the stigma eradicated for receiving mental health treatment if it were not for teen line. And Mm -hmm. that kind of has continued for me. I love the crisis hotline space. I still do that just in another capacity. So with the 98 suicide and crisis lifeline, I'm a hotline counselor and we do also um, suicide prevention trainings and outreach at DD Hirsch suicide prevention center, but Mm -hmm. had not been exposed to this 
at 14, I honestly could not tell you how I would have taken care of my own mental health in the years to come when my symptoms of mental health issues would have been a lot more difficult to work through without the presence of a professional or treatment or the support system I had at Team Line and continue to have in mental health. Yeah, absolutely. That was one heck of a story, first off. I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) but I think there's something to say about like having that exposure at such a young age. I mean, very like similarly, like I was exposed to like my brother's healing like journey uh, for the lack of better terms. Like something I always talk about is like my brother like really struggled with mental health when we were growing up. But despite, of course, that being like a difficult thing for my family to go through, the exposure of him going to see a therapist, of us like learning to talk about it at such a young age for me was like so beneficial. And like something I'm I'm forever grateful that my brother was vulnerable enough to go into those spaces and accept that kind of help. And so very like same, like I like grew up with that. And so like coming into high school, my mind was blown when people were struggling to talk about it because I was like, this is my childhood in a way. And so that type of exposure, whether it be from like a personal family member or even like something like dance moms, I think is so important. Um, And something I I know you and I have talked about in past is also just like, right, like pushing like basic psychology educations, like, you know, onto children so they can learn, like you learn so much about your physical health, but what about your mental health at such a young age? And when I was a sophomore in high school, I took like an introductory uh, psychology course that looked at like, just like basics. Like it was mainly for if you were interested in taking AP psych, but you weren't positive, you wanted to go into AP psych for sure. Um, So it was like a semester long course on like the fundamentals of psychology and it was that class where I think everything clicked to me I was like oh like there's actual science behind these (laughs) emotions and I'm like I'm not like I I understood like the process and like I knew that like talking about it was okay but I didn't know there was like actual science and like backing and there's an actual field of study for example um so exposure is so important whether it be again from a family or a tv show etc and the fact that you went up and you like gra- you grasped that when you saw it you're like this is something I want to engage in um I think that's really beautiful yeah I couldn't mm-hmm. agree more and I also think that exposure is so important as it relates to true information and yeah. research informed methods of engaging students and youth because I think that also we do see um more commonly a lot of exposure that can just be harmful with misinformation and misconceptions about mental health. And that's another reason why I'm so adamant about that exposure being a healthy one and a hope informed one, an education based one, and one that can really walk alongside someone and meet them where they're at. Like even being on a a TV show is a great way to get people involved with mental health because Sometimes they're not going to seek out those places if they don't even know that they need it to begin with. And I love those initiatives that are meeting people where they're at. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one, I think that like touching on the fact that not all, like not every single outlet of exposure is necessarily a healthy one. It's so important because, you know, I think there is something to say about like fact checking and like learning for yourself rather than just accepting information um, as information. I think there is always thankfully for a lot of people, at least in the States, there's always this opportunity to learn and to engage with the information that, that's exposed to you. So one, I definitely would push for that. But two, on the basics of um, exposure, um, are you able to talk a little bit about like what crisis counselors are and like what they do and how they help? Um, and then what it's like to be one? Because um, I think 
I think for a lot of people, this is something that people are seeing kind of rise in the space and not just in the mental health space. I see a lot of like just day-to-day people who don't work in mental health start to talk about like crisis counselors and, you know, texting lines, et cetera. And with 988, um, I feel like it's super good to talk about. So if you're able to touch on that a little bit, that'd be great. Yeah. 988 is, you know, as we know, the three-digit hotline that came from the 1-800 number that a lot of people just know that because Logic made a song about it. <laughs> yeah. but you know what? <laughs> However, exposure, you right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine as long as you know the number. But now it's nine eight eight, which is super big in two parts. One because the number makes it so much more accessible for someone in mm-hmm. a mental health or suicidal crisis to access it when you are in a suicidal crisis state that just cognitively looks so different from your state when you're not in that crisis state. And so having the three digit number really does benefit individuals. And then secondly, it's huge because it was some of the nation's largest amounts of funding in mental health and suicide prevention. We obviously know there's such a discrepancy in funding with quote unquote mental health and quote unquote physical health. And so it's helping bridge some of those gaps. And baby steps, but we will take them and, you know, we appreciate them. Being a crisis counselor is definitely something that I am learning is a process and also looks really different for a lot of people because there are so many hotlines, right? So you have like crisis text line where that's a text hotline and youth a lot of times are more likely to use those services Mm -hmm. because of accessibility with texting. And sometimes, you know, when they're not in a mental health or suicidal crisis and wanting to talk about other topics, they're able to do so. And maybe if there's family nearby, they can do it more anonymously and privately than if you're on a phone call and people might be able right. to hear you. So that's really cool. And then there are eating disorder hotlines and there are sexual assault hotlines. And yeah, primarily with 988, a lot of that just looks like um, emotional support, active listening, risk assessment, crisis de-escalation, and it's really hoping to divert people from using um, things like law enforcement when that's not needed or calling 911 when that's not needed and using community-based mental health response teams Mm -hmm. and using community resources. And the majority of people who call really just need those de-escalation practices and really just need someone to talk to and someone to listen. Yeah. I love that about the crisis counseling space because I'm always asked, what do you say to someone? Mm. And what do you just say that makes everything go away? And that's such a trick question because the answer (laughs) is nothing that you say or do is just going to wave a magic wand and take away someone's mental health distress or suicidality. And also it shouldn't. Right. Right. It's an ongoing process. And I don't want there to just be one thing that can um, be magically said because that's not how things work. And I definitely try to acknowledge that there is a lot that you should not say. Absolutely. But there is also a lot of the crisis counseling process that is just listening actively. And when you think about it, when you're in a time of crisis, a lot of times what you just need is not someone who's going to fix your situation. Absolutely. It's someone who is going to meet you where you're at. And we talk a lot about 
at the suicide prevention center, this concept of the dark place and Mm. walking alongside someone in the dark place and sitting with them in the dark place. And I love that analogy. I think it's beautiful. And I think it really counteracts those narratives of toxic positivity that we have in society where we so often, right, avoid these conversations and avoid these places and avoid just sitting with people in this and ourselves and our own emotions. And sometimes we just have to allow that crisis state to pass. But again, since there are over 200 crisis centers across the country, there are about 13 or 12 in California. Wow. It looks a little different depending on the center. So of course I can't universalize it or one way that it looks like, but typically that's kind of the outline. Yeah. And I think that's really good for people to understand and know is that, right, this isn't something that, and odds are, even if you don't use like a crisis counselor, it, working in mental health or, you know, seeing, seeking a mental health professional, it's not like a perfect one and done solution. And it's never like that for any health issue or any health problem. I mean, I have like, I have a heart disorder and it's not like every time I see like my cardiologist, oh, I'm suddenly better, but you learn how to manage your day-to-day lifestyle. And I think what is so like beautiful and like helpful is like, right. Having this process of walking alongside someone and having someone walk alongside you. And that's like a fundamental practice that you can apply into your everyday life. Like that's something I think my friends and I often talk about. It's like, I can't solve your issues. And especially like a lot of, we're not actual professionals, like in terms of like, I'm not a psychiatrist. Right. And so, um, like I can't solve their problems and as much as I wish I could, um, it's like, you know, to be a good friend, I'm just going to walk through this process with you. Is that process going to be like getting a therapist or just getting through this next like season of like, or semester or whatever. Um, but I think that's like such a fundamental thing that we can all apply to our life. And then that is the outline in which, you know, crisis counselors work, the UC the 9 program. And I think that is so, such a beautiful like application of that in this kind of field. So um, yes, thank you for that exposure and information because I think it's really needed and important for people to hear that. Um, that being said, um, I would love to hear like a story or a time where you realize like the work that you do and the work that you have been doing is important. Um, we've been asking every ambassador this just because I think it's important to have that self-reflection and to like reflect on like, oh, this is like, this is me realizing like the work I do is good. I love that question. And honestly, there are so many instances that I can really think about with this. And what I've started to do also is utilize that in my journaling practices because I just go from one place to another very quickly and yeah. sometimes in a way that's not healthy. And I don't want to miss out on the good. And I don't want to miss out on the times where there is that reinforcement of my why, because that's what propels me at the end of the day. I think something that I always come back to is when I was at teen line, everything comes back to teen line, but that's great. Yeah. When I was at teen line and we were doing a suicide prevention like conference at Mm -hmm. the school and it was a really cool group of individuals and at the end of this conference and after we had spoken there was a time where people could stay back if they just wanted to talk or ask specific questions and that was a way to be confidential and comfortable and I remember this one girl who came Mm -hmm. up to me and she was I think nine years old wow and People don't often realize that we talk sometimes to people who are as young as like four, five, six, but right. nine 
nine really like hits home when you think about it. Yeah. And this girl was essentially just sharing about why this speaking engagement, why this training was so important. She was talking about her own experiences in elementary school and how she was talking about her friends and how some of these issues are really impacting her friends. And often there's this idea that youth at that age are not privy to issues such as suicide, issues such as mental illness, issues in general with mental health or non-suicidal self-injury or eating disorders. Those do really touch youth and not just what we think of youth like teens and above, but youth. Like young people. Yeah, absolutely. Young people. And being in that moment and she kind of was getting emotional and because Mm -hmm. I cry at everything, (laughs) I was crying and I was like, this is not real right now. Like I am so grateful. I get, when would I ever have a conversation with someone who's nine where she is just divulging these very intimate parts of her life with me and was also asking for advice about, so what do I do if my friend tells me this? And we were able to through after validating emotionality, we were able to really talk through those tangible takeaways and tangible steps and tangible resources. So that was a beautiful moment for me. That has, you know, replicated in different ways since, but I think that was one of the first times where I was like, okay, sold. I'm doing this for the rest of my life. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there is no way it's all downhill from here. I just can't do anything else with my yeah. life be in this space yeah that that's honestly like for me that is like something that I is so like because I was eight years old when my brother was struggling with suicidal ideation and the first time that he attempted suicide I was eight and I think what was so difficult was one not having the vocabulary explaining what was going on because I it's like at eight years old like odds are even if you're exposed to like that type of um, experience you don't know how to communicate it so one the fact that like this young girl was able to go into a space and learn how to talk about it and learn like the vocabulary of her own experience is something I deeply understand. And so one, thank you for doing that work because it's so, so important. I think especially for like young children that are yeah. exposed to that type, you know, to, to life at such a young age. Um, yeah. And, you know, like, it's hard to be like, oh, we want to prevent that from happening. And like, that's such a, just a big world issue. Um, but things like what you do is like, is what helps young people and like what helps children like navigate these spaces. Um, and I think, yeah, that's just so beautiful. I don't know if you thought that you would stick with mental health the moment you started working in it. Like, do you think your younger self um, when you were like 14 when you first joined, um, do you think you would have thought to see yourself stay in mental health for so long? That's such an interesting question. I always say in another world, I would be a lawyer or do something in the legal world because I do have such a draw to that world. And um, my family's a part of that in some ways or many ways, actually. Persians (laughs) and law and Persians and the medical professions are like, so imagine my family wanted to get in mental health. That was like, that was a lot. (laughs) Stigma and all of that. But they were like, wait, you don't want to be a lawyer or a doctor? And I was like, well, I want to get my doctorate in psychology. Right, exactly. A little bit different, but we're getting there. They were like, so not med school? But um, so funny. I definitely for a little bit was still drawn to law. 
Um, but I also think that once I started, I could not see myself anywhere else. Again, again, I was 14. And again, right now I'm 20. I, that can change, but I don't know if it will, honestly, I just love this space so much. And when you're in these environments that are so rejuvenating and so life-giving and so enjoyable to be a part of, yeah. I don't know if you can really <laughs> be away from that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also like what you said about the terms of cultural um, aspects, which of course, cause that's what I do is for research, but um, <laughs> yeah, my mom was like the same way. She's like, okay, like this is like new and unexpected, but <laughs> we'll see how this goes. And um, I think there's something to say about like the fact that you have stuck with it for six years. I mean, like, you're not wrong to say like you were 14, you're 20 now, but that's, that's six years of your life, which is yeah. a lot if you think about it. Yeah. Um, and you've dedicated a lot of time to it and you've done such great work. I mean, for those who don't know, you, you literally went to the white house. Right. So, <laughs> um, and I love that. Like the, the story that you shared was such a personal story and it wasn't like, Oh, like when I went to the white house, like I'm sure that that was such a beautiful <laughs> experience, but the fact that like you have so much passion and like genuine heartfelt like emotion towards this and not only like do you have that but you actually like apply it and do things with it and I think that is so beautiful and like it has taken you this far and it's going to continue to take you further so um I'm sure you know like you doing this work has has impacted so many people already but yeah I'm sure for the both of us I I don't think I would have thought that I would be doing mental health for this long but it's been so so much fun and like such an honor to do the work so yeah. yeah 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 couldn't agree more yeah absolutely that being said um being part of like the rare beauty like first cohort of ambassadors like what did this program really mean to you um in terms of mental health or community etc like what did it mean to be part of it I'm not gonna lie I am a sucker for new initiatives <laughs> and new groups and just new things. And I loved that this was the inaugural cohort of the ambassadors. And I loved the ambassadors who were a part of it are all people who are very active in the mental health space. So there was so much that we were able to bring to the program. And also I love the rare impact funds team. Mm -hmm. I did not know a ton about Honestly, the Rare Impact Fund or Rare Beauty, I don't know a lot about makeup. Neither do I. (laughs) I feel like it exposed us even to the makeup world, low-key, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like, the the first time when they sent us makeup, I was like, this is, like, the first time I actually had, like, good products. Like, I had, like, a little bit of stuff, but mainly from, like, a drugstore. And I was, like, looking at it. I was like, I don't know how to do any of this. you're like wait this looks really legit and the packaging is beautiful and it's it's amazing and I yeah I now go into Sephora with my friends and enjoy it which is so weird I have never I don't like the beauty industry I mean typically but this has honestly provided a really safe space in the beauty industry and absolutely I just love that but I first came across the Rare Impact Fund team and Rare in general. It was at the White House Mental Health Youth Action Forum. And I loved the team. Interacting with the team was very refreshing. And some people as well from the White House are part of the inaugural cohort, which has been super just beautiful and fruitful. And I've become so close with so many people through it, obviously, including you, including Kath, including amazing humans like yourself and I think 
something that I loved apart from just being able to have take space in this community and get to know other advocates was specifically when we did some work with active minds and Mm -hmm. when active minds shared with us about their platform and the way that they have chapters across the country I was wanting to do something at my new school as a mental health promotion intern and we were figuring out what that might look like on campus and honestly it was through rare that I was able to really get connected with active minds and now with active minds we have a university chapter on campus and that has been such a blast to have I love student-led mental health initiatives. I did a lot of work with Bring Change to Mind over the years, which is a very similar model. And I think that was my favorite part of the program, honestly, being able to have exposure and access to some of these incredible grantees that Rare Impact funds. I also have loved the Rare Impact mentorship program. I know we've spoken about that, but- able to have a mentor at rare beauty is not something I ever thought I would say I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I mean, did you ever even think that that would be? No, dude, I barely even thought I'd be working with like a company like rare beauty period. <laughs> this you. has been like a not on my bingo card. This was mind blowing. Same. I agree. And I think what I love about that too, is sometimes these opportunities really just arise naturally and they, yeah, Often this is a world of like forced connections and stepping over people and hierarchies and titles. And what I love about youth and youth ambassadors for these types of programs in general is honestly, we don't really care about, we, we acknowledge the, the titles and we acknowledge these companies and the work that they do if they are really doing meaningful work, but we're really involved because of our hearts and because of the action-based impacts that we care so deeply about. And so I love when these opportunities really naturally arise. And yeah, I never thought that I would have a mentor at Rare Beauty who is actually so inspirational and one of my favorite people ever, you know, and these opportunities that come up are just once in a lifetime. And I'm very, very, very grateful. Yeah, honestly, same. Like, I just think back to like this past year. Um, and I was like, I was just talking to Shreya the, like earlier today. And it's just like, I can't believe one, I haven't met like any of you guys in person besides Katie, obviously, because oh. Katie and I go to the same school. But yeah. um, it's just like, it's so bizarre to me. And I, I'm so grateful to talk to like other people in this field about these, like the difficulties, but also like the passions and the loves and like the, and like the stories, because there's not many other people that can understand like behind the scenes work. And I think you're so right to say like, we're so used to these types of industries being like stepping on each other. So the fact that we have this group of like people working, you know, towards the same passion and that's it. Like there's no competition. It's really about like, how can we support each other? How can we uplift each other? And they got the whole point of this podcast too. It's just like to uplift, like the amazing work that you guys do. Um, and I just think rare beauty did such a great job. Um, putting us all together and like the mentor program amazing too I'm just excited and I'm excited for all the things that like the alumni network will do so um yeah it's super great um and then one final question before we wrap up um just crazy it's almost already been an hour but um yeah as you know Rare Beauty does something called Rare Reminders and so if you could tell people anything this mental health month what would you want them to know I think what I would really try and emphasize is 
just the concept that you are deserving to reach out for support. You're deserving to reach out for help and you deserve to cultivate these very meaningful conversations with one another. I know that we often know the existence of mental health supports are there and that is a reality yet we often don't feel like we deserve to take part of those resources or deserve to have those conversations or should. And so I would definitely prompt anyone who is, you know, listening or just anyone in the atmosphere. We'll just throw it out. But I hope (laughs) that everyone really feels that they are deserving of support and feeling empowered and equipped to take on those conversations, especially in those individual interactions with friends, family, schools, workplaces, and I've at it. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I think that's so, so, so true, especially um, my goal is always like, yeah, mental health month or like suicide prevention day or week or whatever. Like these things are so like, yeah, like there might be flashy names, but it's really about like continuing this conversation outside of the month or the day or the week, et cetera. So I think that is such a great message to constantly put out. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for that. And thank you so much for coming on. Um, is there a place where people can follow you or follow your work, et cetera? And I'll put that in the bio. So. Yeah, following my very long social media break, I am essentially only on Instagram right now, so it's just my name um and LinkedIn for the professional stuff, which is honestly cool because you can connect I with your professors, it. right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Have you? Yes, my professors are big on LinkedIn and stuff, and so I honestly love LinkedIn just for those reasons and I think it's yeah. fun. I don't take it too seriously. Yeah. Um, But yeah, after my big break, I'm mostly on Instagram, which is good for now. And we will see if I even keep my Instagram forever. But for now, she's there. She's alive. Exactly. (laughs) It's always I'm always like hitting or missing, but it's it's still the semester. So, you know, I'm on it. But we never know. We never know. But that's great. Um, Again, thank you so much for coming on. Like truly, idiot. like you are such a great friend, such a great person to listen to. Um, It's such a great inspiration. So I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Oh, you're the best. See you. Bye.